Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 48 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast, where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. While there are tons and tons of other podcasts out there where you can tune in and listen to a middle-aged man talk about old video games, I'm glad you decided to listen to mine, so thank you so much for checking out the show today. If there's anyone more grateful than myself, it would have to be our canine wildlands expedition leader, Dee Dee. While he might not be much of a people person, he does enjoy a good leg sniffing, so anytime we get the expedition together before setting off towards the horizon, he can't help but get himself lost in all the commotion. Dee Dee really is a fantastic choice to lead our expedition because of how loyal he is. He's loyal to you listening, he's loyal to the cause, and most of all, he's loyal to me. If something were to happen to me on one of our outings, I know Dee Dee would move heaven and earth to avenge me and carry on the Retro Wildlands legacy. And maybe a time will come where I need to willingly step away. If it is destiny that I not return, Dee Dee will need to take the dragon sword of the Hayabusa family and go to America to see the archaeologist Walter Smith. Uh... Scratch that, I think I might be jumping the gun and talking about our featured game a bit early. So, speaking of calls to action, legacy, and revenge, on today's episode, we're checking out a game that is widely considered to be one of the most difficult retro games around. It's a game that requires quick reflexes and a near mastery of the game's mechanics in order to see yourself victorious. Now, why on earth would one want to subject themselves to an experience that is clearly going to be trying and difficult? Well, my friends, some of the best experiences come from the difficult challenges we face and working to overcome them. And besides, this particular game, despite the difficulty, can be pretty fun, all things considered. It also comes with excellent graphics, a great soundtrack, and, get this, Cutscenes that tell a story of revenge, redemption, and love in between each stage. Yes, this game is practically a complete package. Even if you feel a growing desire to chuck your controller into the nearest wall. That's right, my friends. Today on the Retro Wildlands, I am going to be talking about Ninja Gaiden for the Nintendo Entertainment System. As with pretty much every gaming console out there, there are certain games that just come up in conversation when you talk about them. While I've heard of Ninja Gaiden growing up and seen it played, I've never had the chance to actually play it. It was one of those games that was always just on the outside of my field of view, just hanging out in my periphery, if you will. Once I started down the path of taking on retro games from yesteryear, I knew that I would have to give this game a go at some point. But of all the things that I remembered about Ninja Gaiden, it was its brutal, unforgiving difficulty that always came to mind first. It made me a little nervous about jumping in, if I'm being completely honest with you. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I like a good, hard experience, insert funny joke here, but I'm not nearly as hardcore as some of you out there. I usually do not enjoy getting the shit kicked out of me just for fun. Is this what my experience with Ninja Gaiden was destined to be? How can a game so brutally difficult be a game that so many people thoroughly enjoy? Well, the time had come for me to put on my big boy pants and finally find out. I spent several hours in the ninja shoes of Ryu Hayabusa, and after battling wave after wave of enemies using my sword, some special abilities, and my ninja-like agility, I feel like I experienced enough of this game to share my thoughts. Is Ninja Gaiden a game that you need to play? What makes this game so special to some? Is it worth the difficult struggle? And most of all, is this game fun? Well, my friends, grab a drink and settle in by the campfire. I am very excited to tell you all about my journey with this iconic game. Now, if you're new to the show, I like to take some time to chat it up with you all a little bit and give you all a peek behind the scenes here on the Retro Wildlands before we get into the meat of the episode itself. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I'm playing, what's going on in my personal life, any projects that I'm working on, and whatever else I feel like rambling about. In this section of the podcast, I'll also read and respond to all comments that I received about Ninja Gaiden when I put a call out for them on our social media pages. Now, if none of this sounds fun or interesting to you and you are just here for my thoughts on Ninja Gaiden, no worries, you can skip ahead about 12 to 15-ish minutes and you should get into the game talk. There should also be timestamps in the show notes so you can see exactly where you need to go if you don't want to guess using your little slider doohickey thing on your podcast app. But don't rush off just yet. I'll be talking about some gaming-related shenanigans, and you'll get to hear your fellow Wildlander sound off about Ninja Gaiden, so it should be a good way to get the ball rolling. So, with all that said, let's get into our opening segment that I like to call Campfire Ketchup. So 2023 is coming to a close, and when I look back on the year, well, it's been a pretty big blur if I'm being honest. Between me putting in more time at my adult job and family obligations, keeping the kids fed and watered, making sure the house stays in one piece, finding time to game and make podcasts, it feels like I've been constantly moving with very little slowdown. Which, in all honesty, is usually a good thing. I'm the type of person who likes to stay busy doing something productive. Hell, as I've gotten older, I constantly feel bad when I play a video game for more than 15 minutes. Like, I'm constantly telling myself, You should be doing something more productive. But then I tend to follow that up with, Don't listen to that nonsense, you have earned this time. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has had these struggles, though. But all that said, that's how this entire year has been, and when I look back, it can be hard to point at some of the specific things I've done for as fast as this year has flown by. 
But when I sit back and have myself a good look back and take a bit of time and let the fog dissipate a bit, it has been a pretty good year, all things considered. I'm still a bit agitated with myself that I had to pull back on how often I'm creating and posting shows, but I'm also pretty stoked that I'm still going. I continue to meet and interact with some quality people, none of whom I would know if not for this project, and I think that is my biggest takeaway. I'm still trying to get myself out of my shell and put myself out there a bit more, and I've done that by posting a few game reviews with myself on camera on our YouTube channel. I've played a lot of games I probably wouldn't have otherwise, and my skills at audio and video editing continue to improve, or at least I think they are. And outside of the podcast, I've done some great things with my family and my stepkids and our canine companions, Dee Dee and Dexter, and that has brought me so much joy that I have really needed this year. It hasn't been a perfect year, and it has definitely come with its share of hardships, but all in all, 2023 is shaping up to be pretty alright. In 2024, I want to try and focus more on my physical and mental health, as well as rekindling some personal and family relationships that I've let fall to the wayside. I let how busy and demanding my adult job has become practically define my mood and attitude for a good chunk of the year, and needless to say, I've become a bit of a grouch, more so than normal. I'm not big into New Year's resolutions or anything, but I'm trying to get myself set up for an awesome 2024, and it all begins with mindset. So we'll see what happens, and as always, thank you for taking the journey with me, my friends. The constant support I get from you listening and others that I've met along this podcast journey have truly humbled me and warmed my heart. I'm just a middle-aged guy who likes the bleep bloops of video games, but you all continue to make me feel like a million bucks by listening to my dumb show. I really, really appreciate it. So, speaking of the podcast itself, just a couple quick updates on the show. I'm still slowly uploading older episodes of the show onto YouTube, and we're up to episode 35 at the time I'm recording these words. I think I'm going to prioritize getting the back catalog all uploaded so I can get to a point where I can post a new podcast on the usual platforms, and then I'll incorporate making a video and then I can post it around the same time. Ultimately, I want to get back to adding some game reviews for games I want to talk about, but I don't want to make podcasts out of. It'll be slow going, but Rome wasn't built in a day and all of that junk. If you're remotely interested in our YouTube channel, feel free to subscribe to it. Just search Retro Wildlands and it should pop up, or you can check out the link tree I set up at linktr.ee forward slash Retro Wildlands and get there that way. No obligation or anything, the platform is there if you want it. Speaking of, I think I'm going to do a bit better about being more active on social media, so if you want some retro spice on your timelines and feeds, Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. Our link tree has all the links you need if you want to use that. Our Facebook page just hit 450 followers, which is pretty damn good in my opinion. So if you're looking for the social page with the most folks, Facebook seems to be where most of the Wildlanders are. Regardless, huge shout out to anyone following the show on any of our social platforms. I really appreciate it. Even you bots trying to get me to click on your porn links. I appreciate the thought.
So one more thing just to mention about the podcast. I'm trying to get back to planning out what games I want to cover on the show ahead of time. For a while in the beginning, I actually had a schedule and would plan out games and what order I wanted to play them in. I know, it was like I was organized and professional. After a while, though, I just started winging it, as well as taking listener recommendations, and while I'm certainly taking recommendations into account, I have planned out the next couple games that I want to cover after this one. The next episode after this is more than likely going to be Super Mario 2, because I've had a hankering for that game for some time now. And for our milestone 50th episode, I'm going to be covering one of my favorite games of all time. I originally wanted it to be Final Fantasy VII, given my love for it and how important of a game it is to me, but it's not in the cards to do the episode that I have in mind, at least not right now. So I went with another game that is near and dear to my heart. What could it possibly be, you might be wondering? Well, I'm going to keep this one close to my vest for now, but I will say it's a game that revolutionized storytelling in video games, and it's a game that should be experienced on its original hardware for maximum impact. I'll leave it at that for now, but stay tuned, my friends. I am really looking forward to crafting an amazing episode around both of these games. Alright, and before we move on, just a quick update on what I am playing. Obviously, I've been playing Ninja Gaiden, but I've mostly been playing the new Super Mario RPG. I finished the game, and now I'm taking part in the new post-game content. There isn't too much extra, I don't think, or at least not that I've found, but you can go back and take on bosses that you fought in the main game, and this time around, they are much more powerful, and you have to be pretty strategic with how you fight them. I won't give any of them away or anything like that, but I will say, I am pretty impressed how the game does this. I was expecting you to just recall a boss from a list and fight them, but it's been woven into the gameplay pretty well. I still have a ways to go, but I want to be done soon so I can finish my notes on the remake and potentially plan an episode of the show around it. I still need to see if my buddy Nick wants to come back for that, so we'll see. I'm also playing Super Mario Wonder, and I'm still having a decent time with that game. Still a long way to go to complete that one, but playing it on the Switch is just so perfect since I can just knock out a level here and there when I have a quick moment. Lastly, I decided to dust off my PlayStation Vita, and I've been playing Xenocrisis a bit on that. I think I might even mention playing it a little bit before, way, way back on earlier podcast episodes. Xenocrisis is a twin-stick arena shooter which always makes me think of Super Smash TV on the Super Nintendo. I haven't put too much time into it overall, but I'm really liking it so far, even if I'm not very good at the game. I usually play it for a little bit, then stop for a few months, and then I go back to it. I'm considering making this game one that I do a YouTube review on down the road, but eh, we'll see what happens. Either way, it's been fun blasting monsters and seeing how far I can get. Eventually, I'll be picking up Super Mario 2 for the podcast, so all in all, there are plenty of games to play, and I am keeping busy. <sighs> Life is good. Alright, enough of the jibba-jabba. I'd say we're pretty caught up, so it's time to get to the reason that you are all here today. 
It is time to talk about Ninja Gaiden for the NES. William, who wrote into the show about Ninja Gaiden over on our Retro Wildlands Facebook page when I put a call out for comments, said, This game introduced cutscenes to me as a kid, very ahead of its time. Gameplay was solid too. Frustrating, but solid. I 100% agree with all of that, William. While the difficulty was the one thing I knew Ninja Gaiden was known for, I had forgotten about the cutscenes. The graphics during these scenes were really well done, and even if the dialogue was pretty eh, in spots, there was a pretty robust story, all things considered. Tons of games during this time were all about chasing a high score and getting to the next level, but Ninja Gaiden gave players a more involved reason to keep pushing forward, even despite the ridiculous difficulty. Would Ryu have his revenge and learn the truth? Well, you just had to keep pushing forward to find out. Thank you a bunch for writing into the show, William. I appreciate the comment. Dave, who wrote into the show over on our Facebook page, had this to say about Ninja Gaiden. Such a very hard game, but music and sounds are so very awesome. And I have to agree, I really appreciated the sound design and the soundtrack to this game. While the sounds were crisp and punchy, it was the soundtrack that really stood out for me. I don't think there was a specific tune that was a complete banger or anything, but the tunes playing were very upbeat and very engaging, especially for music composed on the NES. I think there are more than 20 unique songs in this game. Several for the stages that you play, and several for the cutscenes that you get to experience. All of the music was done very well, and it did a great job of helping to create an awesome ninja experience. Thank you very much for your comment, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time to interact with the show. Curtis chimed in on our Facebook page as well and said, I used to play this game as a kid. I remember going to Blockbuster and renting the NES console and this game. I remember it being difficult because I never managed to beat it in the week-long rental time, but I always had fun. I can't recall too many memories of it, but we had a small rental store across from one of the houses I was living at when I was younger, and I used to be able to rent an NES as a kid, too. We only got it a handful of times, but I loved how our weekends would be dedicated to the Nintendo and whatever my stepdad decided to rent. Ninja Gaiden would have been a good one, and I could see having actual fun with it, but there is no way that I would have been able to beat this game in a week either. Especially with interruptions like dinner and chores. But that really speaks volumes about Ninja Gaiden. Everyone says it's hard as balls, but I'm finding more and more people who had a genuinely good time with this game, and it warms my heart. Thank you again for writing into the show, Curtis. Always good to hear from you. Chris Copleen, one of the hosts of the Retro Hangover podcast, reached out to the show over on our Twitter page and said, The action in this game is quite fun, but its legendary difficulty lives up to its reputation. It's one that will take practice and near-pixel-perfect memorization, but it's possible. Just keep moving forward. Oh, also, fucking birds, man. 
<laughs> so we're going to get into this during the episode, but Ninja Gaiden's greatest enemy isn't some super boss or some big wave of baddies. It's birds. Fucking birds. You're going to come across a decent amount of gaps that you're going to need to platform over and around, and for some reason, the developers thought it would be hilarious to spawn birds right after you've made your jump in such a way that you'll hit the bird mid-air and then you'll get knocked backwards into the pit that you were trying to jump over. It is infuriating beyond anything you have experienced. But Chris also nailed it on the head when he spoke about pixel-perfect memorization. Most of these sorts of traps can be circumvented, so long as you take your time and inch yourself just far enough to make the game spawn the bird before jumping. But this entire game is all about practice, practice, practice. But man, I will never look at birds the same way. Just their dumb faces and their stupid... No! Get! Get the hell out of here! God damn, birds! Ugh. Anyway, thanks for the comment, Chris. Our last community comment came from the Still Loading podcast over on our Instagram page. They said, I didn't grow up with this game, but I remember in college my buddy Justin was playing through it while us and a group of friends were hanging out. Unlike me, Justin did grow up with it and had played it a ton, but he had never beaten it because of its difficulty. Well, that night, he finally beat it after 15 plus years, and I have never seen him so excited and happy. He literally got onto his knees and screeched in happiness. It was one of the coolest experiences getting to see my best friend beat a game that he's been trying to since childhood. This was such a pure gaming experience right here, and I was smiling from ear to ear reading this comment. Sure, Ninja Gaiden is hard, but the sheer joy a person experiences when finally overcoming any sort of obstacle is unmatched. You can't help but feel inspired by a story like this too, and honestly, this was a big driver for me while I was putting my time into Ninja Gaiden. This is a game that is going to make you earn your victory, and it's not by exploiting some glitch or super secret technique. You have to work and be okay with repeat failure. Only then will you succeed, and only then will you become a true ninja warrior. My friends at the Still Loading Podcast, thank you for sharing this awesome story with the community. Released in North America on March 28, 1989, Ninja Gaiden has players taking on the role of Ryu Hayabusa, a young man who sets off on a quest to avenge his father who fell in battle. After finding a letter left behind by his father and taking up the dragon sword, Ryu obeys his father's wishes and heads to America to take revenge on the enemy. But why was it that Ryu's father was even in battle in the first place? And is this story simply one of vengeance, or is there something more sinister at work? And who can Ryu trust on his quest, or is he truly alone on the road to revenge? These are questions Ryu will need to answer as he takes up arms against his enemies. Thankfully though, Ryu is not alone, because he has us. So let's suit up. 
grab the dragon sword, pocket a few throwing stars, and tie on your ninja headbands. It is absolutely essential that we succeed on our mission. If we can't find a way to defeat the forces of evil, there will be nothing to stop the incoming wave of destruction. Our reflexes will need to be quick, our wits will need to be sharp, and our sword sharper. But above all else, Wildlanders, remember, be always brave. deciding what retro game I wanted to play next, I wanted to grab a game that was fairly well known that I hadn't played yet. When I was running the different systems through my mind, it was easy to think of a few games automatically that went with them. The Super Nintendo made me think of Super Mario World, Pilot Wings, and Super Metroid. The Sega Genesis had me thinking of Gunstar Heroes, Streets of Rage, and Sonic and & Knuckles. But when I turned my attention back to the original Nintendo, one game came to mind that I had originally written off in my younger years. It was a game I always wanted to play, but I had heard that it was way too difficult. So difficult that people couldn't even get past the third or even second levels. Some gamers that I've talked to over the years refuse to go back to it. Apparently, this wasn't a game that was one that you could just get good at. Enemy placement and repeat enemy spawning made the game practically unfair, I was told. But as I stared at Ninja Gaiden, I started to wonder to myself, was all of that really true? Aside from the brutal difficulty, I know there are some people out there that really, really like this game for one reason or another. And just look at that box art. The ninja on the cover just looked completely badass with his ninja getup, long katana blade, and he had arm muscles bigger than his actual face. Through his hood, you could see his eyes, and they were staring at me with a fire that ignited something inside me. It was time. Time to give this game a go, and see if this game was as good as I was hoping, even if it was brutally difficult. So after several hours playing Ninja Gaiden as an almost 40-year-old for the first time, I can confidently say the following. Number one, this game is stupidly difficult. Number two, the difficulty isn't as bad as people make it out to be. Number three, kids today should not play this game as it will result in temper tantrums and broken controllers. Number four, this game can be genuinely fun. And number five, I was pleasantly surprised with this game overall. As I play more and more retro games, I continue to be surprised by how enjoyable older games are today. Now, Ninja Gaiden is not a game for slouches. This is a game for people that want to go on a challenging journey and for those who get fulfillment out of adversity. You are going to need to be okay with failure, and you're going to need to be okay with the fact that you might not beat this game, ever. 
Underneath all of this, though, is an experience that I am very glad I decided to take, and I am eager to tell you all about it. So, to get started, we're going to need to peel back the layers of Ninja Gaiden and see exactly what it is that we are working with. So, what is this game? Ninja Gaiden is a side-scrolling action platformer developed and published by Tecmo. You play as Ryu Hayabusa, a ninja in the Hayabusa Ninja Clan. Actually, you know what? Normally I'd set up the game's story before we dive into the actual game itself, but Ninja Gaiden is pretty unique in that it has in-game cutscenes that explain the story for us. Yes, no need to read the instruction manual on this one to understand what's going on. Just like a modern game today, Ninja Gaiden is going to show us everything once we boot the game up. So let's take a moment and skip right to that. Let's grab the game cartridge and pop it into our Nintendo. Just gotta blow into the cartridge here real quick. <sighs> Perfect. And I don't want to hear anything from anybody about how blowing into the cartridge is bad for the game. We all used to do it, we probably still do it, so there. Anyhow, once the game is in, let's power up the system. On screen, we can see the words Tecmo Presents 1989. The bottom half fades away, and the word Tecmo floats to the bottom of the screen, but as it does, the word Ninja in big capital letters fades in and makes its way to the top of the screen. Then, in a flash, just like a ninja warrior slitting the throat of an unaware enemy, the title screen completes itself as we see the words Ninja Gaiden. You'll normally want to press start at this point and jump right into the action, but a ninja also needs to exercise patience. If we hang back for just a moment, the game will set up the story using some pretty well-animated cutscenes. On screen, we can see a full moon high in the sky. Down below, a grassy field extends outwards, and we can see two figures standing across from each other. They both appear to be wearing traditional ninja attire, one in orange and the other in gray. We then see close-ups of the ninja faces. They stare at each other with a sort of grim determination. This is clearly a duel of some kind, and as soon as that realization hits us, we can see the ninjas start to run towards each other. Their feet move so fast, it's almost like they're floating just a hair off the ground. Suddenly, the ninjas jump towards each other, and we can see that they have swords drawn. With the full moon at their backs, they come together and strike. The screen flashes for a moment, and then both the ninjas make it back to the ground with a thud. However, it is clear that the ninja in orange was not the victor here as he slowly crumples to his knees. At this point, ponderous thoughts appear on screen. With whom did father have a duel and lose? For what reason did he fight and die? Even I don't know for sure. The screen transitions to a young man holding a letter in his hand. This is the hero of our tale, Ryu Hayabusa. He goes on to say, The day after he disappeared, in father's room I found a letter addressed to me. It said, Ryu, 
I am on my way to a life or death duel. If it is destiny that I not return, you are to take the dragon sword of the Hayabusa family and go to America and see the archaeologist Walter Smith. Ryu, be always brave. At this point, Ryu puts on his ninja hood and looks directly towards us. His eyes are full of anger and rage. The intro concludes with Ryu saying, I will get my revenge. The screen fades to black and we're taken back to the title screen. Ninja Gaiden has one of the best video game opening cinematics ever, and I am not just saying that because it was a first for its time. A lot of video games tend to give the players some basic background or reasoning for why they're doing what they're doing in-game. Rescue the princess, save the villagers, restore world peace. While Ninja Gaiden's premise of revenge is simple enough, it leaves questions like, what was Ryu's father up to? Why did he duel someone in the first place? Who did he duel? Why do we need to find an archaeologist of all people, and why in America of all places? The game itself is divided into acts, and each act has several short stages within them. As we finish each act, more of the story is revealed with cutscenes similar to the game's opening. It is the perfect incentive to keep playing this game, even today. The graphical presentation in these cutscenes are masterful on the NES, and the music that plays during them creates a gripping tension. Usually what happens is one question gets answered, and two more go unanswered. While I personally love going after a high score or a specific achievement, a good story is the best kind of carrot on a stick to keep me wanting to play. Now, I might be overhyping Ninja Gaiden's story a bit. At the end of the day, it is not a story that transcends the decades or anything. It's still pretty basic, all things considered. But back in 1989, I could only imagine how hooked this would get players. To my knowledge, there wasn't a game like this around this time period that had a story this robust. So now that we know the reason that we're fighting, it's time to set off on our mission to take revenge. Act 1 of Ninja Gaiden, I argue, isn't too difficult overall, so it'll be a perfect opportunity for us to break this game down even further and see how the gameplay experience actually is. Let's press start on our controller and get to it. Once we do this, we start Act 1. The first stage fades on screen, and we can see that we're on the streets of a city. If you've ever played Castlevania on the original Nintendo, you'll be very familiar with some of the stuff that we see on screen, some of the controls we're going to learn, and even some of the gameplay mechanics. It seems pretty obvious to me that they were pulled right from Castlevania, or heavily inspired by. The first thing to call out is on the top right-hand side of the screen, which is a bar that indicates Ryu's health. We won't die if we get hit once, we'll just take damage. Once we run out of health, then we will die, and then we will lose a life. Or, if we're unfortunate enough to fall into a bottomless pit, that will be bad for us as well. Aside from our health, there's a health bar for the boss at the end of the act that we're in as well. 
I don't know what it is, but I love games that give bosses you fight either a health bar or a clear indicator to see if you're dealing any damage to it. It's just... it's just really nice. Anyway, the last thing at the top of the screen of any consequence right now is the spiritual strength counter. Again, going back to Castlevania, this is basically an ammo count for any sub-weapons or abilities that you find. In Ninja Gaiden, we're going to come across Throwing Stars, the ability to do a spinning jump slash attack, and even sling fire at our enemies. To use these techniques, we will need spiritual strength. And just like in real life, spiritual strength doesn't come from within, you have to find power-ups on the ground to gain the abilities. We'll get there though, momentarily. For now though, it is time to get moving. Pressing right on the directional pad will get Ryu moving. With his hand on the hilt of his sword, Ryu moves at a pretty decent speed. Pressing the A button will have Ryu jump, and in a game with the word ninja in it, you can bet your ass that we're going to be doing a bit of jumping in our adventure. As we move forward, we're introduced to the game's first wave of enemies. Coming at us with clubs in hand are three goons wearing motorcycle helmets. Not sure why they have beef with us, but there's no time to stop and ask questions. We're gonna need to take these guys out. Pressing B on the control pad will have Ryu swing his sword out in front of him, and all we need to do here is have our sword make contact with the enemy, and that'll take him down. Now obviously, Ryu's sword has much shorter range than any Castlevania whip, so we'll need to be mindful of our distance. Adding to that, the full motion of Ryu swinging his sword takes a few frames of animation, so smashing your B button isn't going to make Ryu swing his sword wildly or anything like that. I also noticed that when you land on the ground from a jump, there's about a half a second hiccup between you pressing the B button and Ryu actually swinging that will cause some frustration. If I think of it though, I will probably touch more on that later. Anyway, these three goons are getting a little too close for comfort, so let's put an end to them. Swing your sword with the B button and... Excellent. These three fools will be the first to fall on our quest for vengeance. Now, as we move on, we'll come across two glowing street lamps on the side of a brick building. Veterans of Castlevania will know what to do here because what's one more thing from Castlevania we can fit into this game? Breakable objects. These lamps aren't at slashing level, but if we time our jump just right, we can swing our sword in midair and blow open the lamps. Each lamp contains a spiritual strength power-up, which is something we should absolutely grab. Each one will add five spiritual strength to our total. Easy enough, let's grab them and move on. As we keep moving forward, we'll have some more enemies to deal with, but we're also introduced to an enemy that likes to come up from behind us on all fours and at a very fast pace. We can either turn around and swing our sword and take them down, just need the timing to be exact, or we can jump over them and let them fly right underneath us. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll try to take them out, not get the timing right, and then you'll take damage. If you do get hit here, you're going to learn two very important things. First, when you get hit, 
you'll take damage which will decrease your overall health, which is fairly obvious. But second, and most importantly, you'll learn that your character gets knocked back quite a ways. This is yet another thing taken right from Castlevania, although I consider the knockback in Ninja Gaiden to be way worse. While there are no bottomless pits in the first stage that I can remember, you will get knocked back into a pit thanks to damage knockback at some point later down the road, mark my words. I cannot count how many times I was jumping over a gap in the floor only for a bird or hawk to spawn, hit me while I was in midair, and the knockback would send me spiraling into the pit I was just trying to jump over. It's almost like the game developers purposefully wanted me to fail, so I could grow up with anger issues. <laughs> Oh, and one more thing I wanted to mention before I forget is about the invincibility frames you get when you take damage. In games like this, if you take a hit, your character will blink for a moment and you won't take any further damage for a short period of time. It's a way for you to reset or get yourself out of immediate danger. The invincibility frames you get in Ninja Gaiden, though, are very short. So, do not let enemies get on top of you and touch you. You'll go down pretty quickly if this happens. If we keep moving through the first stage, we'll come across your typical raised platforms which require some jumping to traverse, and we'll also come across more street lamps that we can bust open. Eventually, we're going to come to another bad guy who's standing in front of a tall wall. First, let's swat this fly and get him out of our way. Nice. Now, as we approach the wall, it'll be pretty evident that it's way too high for us to jump on top of normally. Huh, how are we going to get past this obstacle? Well, the answer to that is our ninja ability to cling to and jump off of walls. If we look right above us, there's a red street sign that's just a bit lower than the top of the wall that we're trying to get on top of. If we jump towards the wall, Ryu will grab onto the wall and stick to it like a fly on flypaper. I use that analogy because it really feels like Ryu has suction cups on the ends of his hands and feet and will effortlessly stick to surfaces. This happens automatically and oftentimes will happen when you don't mean it to happen, but that's an issue for later in the game. Now, if we're stuck to a wall, Ryu can't climb up and down, not unless he's actually stuck to a ladder. To get off the wall, you'll need to push your directional pad in the opposite direction and press the jump button again. This is effectively a wall jump, and it will be an essential skill for you to master on your quest for vengeance. You can use your wall jumping ability to get to higher ledges, and in our case here, this is how we're going to get to the top of the high wall. So from the wall that we just stuck to, we can kick off and attach ourselves to the red sign to the left, then we can kick off again to make it to the top of the wall, which is now on our right. Ha! Just like a real life ninja. In practice, this maneuver isn't too hard to pull off, and the more you do it, the easier it'll become. It's just sticking to walls you don't want to stick to is the thing that can be a little cumbersome in this game. Or better yet, sticking to walls that you didn't know were walls that you could possibly stick to. That is always fun. The rest of the first stage is more of the same things that we've come across already. 
there'll be another even taller wall that we'll need to wall jump in order to get on top of, but at this point, we're practically experts at traversing the area. Eventually, we make it to the end of the area and we are taken inside a bar. Once the interior of the bar fades on screen, we're now face to face with the Axe End Boss, a huge hulking barbarian with a massive blade. He slowly walks towards us, stopping when we're near him to swing his blade towards us twice. Damaging this beast is easy enough. If we wait until after the second swing, the Barbarian will take a moment before moving forward and we can use the opportunity to swing our blade and chip away at his health. The problem here is that the Barbarian is just tall enough where we can't jump over him without touching him on the way down and taking some damage. How can we avoid this? Well, we need to increase our jump height, and we can do that by wall jumping using the two walls on either side of the bar. We're almost spoiled nowadays because parts of the environment that we can interact with are highlighted or called out in some way. My favorite thing developers tend to do, at least nowadays, is put yellow paint or tape or scratches around the thing that you can interact with. But back in 1989, in Ninja Gaiden, it's up to you to figure these things out on your own and figure out what surfaces you can and cannot utilize with your ninja skills. At first, I didn't realize that I could jump on the walls of the bar for as unassuming as they were, but once the barbarian backs you into a corner, you'll have to figure that out pretty quick. So really, the strategy here is to chip away when the Barbarian leaves himself open, wall jump over him, and then repeat until he bursts into literal flames. Alright, so now that we got the game plan, let's get this thing done. Alright, now wall jump. Sword slashes. Bam! Excellent work! As the Barbarian expires, the remaining time that we had left to finish the level is added to our score. Now that the act is over, we're treated to another cutscene that will advance the story. We're given a close-up of Ryu as he wonders aloud to himself. Who are they? They seem to be following me. Ryu notices someone behind him. Who's there? The camera pans left and reveals a strange girl in a business suit looking at Ryu. Ryu scoffs. Just a girl. Get out of here. The girl responds and says, I will, but first. The camera pans down to show that the girl is pointing a gun at Ryu. Ryu gasps. What the... With his eyes wide in shock, the screen turns black and white, and then fades completely into black. Even as a 39-year-old playing Ninja Gaiden for the first time, I was taken aback by these cutscenes. I don't have a ton of Nintendo games under my belt right now, but this is the first one that really gripped me with a narrative that I really wanted to follow. Who was this woman, and why did she have to shoot us when we clearly told her to get lost? 
Is she connected to the man who killed Ryu's father? Again, while it's a pretty basic narrative, all things considered, Ninja Gaiden's story was the one thing that really drove me to keep playing this game. I wanted to understand what the hell was going on, and I also wanted to see more cutscenes just because they looked so awesome on the NES. But aside from all of that, the one thing that really surprised me, and quite pleasantly I might add, is the fact that Ninja Gaiden comes with unlimited continues. When you start the game, you'll start with three lives, and when you lose them all, it is game over. However, there is no need to be discouraged. Once you press start on the game over screen, you're automatically taken back to the last area that you were in and you'll continue with three brand new lives, so you're really not losing that much progress. Just to spell that out a little bit more, let's say that you're playing in Act 2, Area 2. If you lose your last life here and continue, you won't start at the very beginning of Act 2. You'll still be in Area 2 of Act 2. I think the only thing that you're going to lose by continuing is your cumulative score up to that point, but who the hell cares about that? You can still continue to ninja your way forward on your quest for answers, and this feature here is a big reason I was able to see myself to the end of this game. If I had to continually start each act over from scratch, or worse, start the whole game over from scratch, I think I would have thrown in the towel for sure. Ninja Gaiden is a notoriously hard game, and it has every right to be called that. So, speaking of, I thought it might be fun to explore exactly why that is. So the difficulty in Ninja Gaiden will ramp up pretty quickly as you move through the game. The number of enemies that appear on screen at once will increase, and you'll find more and more pitfalls as you traverse the terrain. Enemies in this game will also repeatedly spawn in the same locations, which are typically just a hair off screen. This can get really annoying if you move too far in one direction and then move back just to have an enemy respawn that you just dispatched. Though it is worth noting that progressing in the game is made a bit easier by exploiting this and only moving so far as to make the enemy spawn or not spawn as needed. Basically, a skill that you're going to need to master in this game is enemy spawn manipulation. It is generally much easier to say than do, but I'm hoping Ninja Gaiden veterans know exactly what I'm trying to drive at here. From what I can tell, enemies will spawn in the play area at specific points. If you move far enough forward past that spawn point, the enemy will only spawn once and that'll be the end of them. If you backtrack and go back to an area where an enemy spawns, that enemy will spawn again. The best example I can think of is when you make it to Act 2, Section 2. You start moving towards the left of the screen and you'll come across a hole in the floor and on the other side is a green-skinned creature in white robes. He'll be throwing objects at you like one of the Hammer Brothers in Super Mario. The issue here is, you need to get a running start before you jump the gap and you need to be mindful of the things being thrown at you. 
Because of this, what some players tend to do is get close enough to hit the creature with a sword slash, but then they back up to be able to get up enough momentum to take the jump. However, backing up just a little bit will reset the spawn of that enemy and he'll appear again. Almost guaranteed, you will jump, the enemy will respawn, and start throwing things at you. You'll take a hit, fly backwards due to the crazy knockback, fall into the pit that you're trying to jump over, and then you'll get to hear the You Died jingle that I'm sure is seared into the minds of anyone who has played this game. In case you need a reminder, here's that jingle. Uh, brings back all the memories of all the pain. In order to get past this jump, you either have to have a projectile ability like a throwing star, or you're going to have to get a little lucky and jump on the platform the enemy is on and kill them before you yourself get hit and then fly backwards into the pit. Now, I wouldn't say it's all luck-based in scenarios like this. Again, if you can position yourself in such a way that you take an enemy out but don't back up far enough to make the enemy respawn, you're golden. There's also some scenarios where you can move just far enough forward to make an enemy spawn who might run towards you, but you can then jump over them or watch them run under you if you happen to be on a higher plane, let's say. This is going to require you putting a decent amount of time into the game in order to understand where the enemies appear and get used to how they behave. In simple terms, practice and just get good. Which is a great segue to get into the next thing that worked well for me playing Ninja Gaiden. Take your time, especially when you're learning the levels and where the enemies are going to show up. Even though you're a ninja and ninjas are usually ones to go fast and swiftly, this can and oftentimes will get you into trouble if you don't know the dangers that lie ahead. Oftentimes, multiple enemies will spawn next to each other, but if you take your time, you can combat them one at a time. There's a specific jump at the end of Act 3 before the boss in the area that comes to mind when I say this. As you approach a cliff where you need to jump down to a lower platform, you'll have cheetahs or something looking like a cheetah running up behind you. At the bottom of the platform that you're trying to jump on, there's a single human enemy walking back and forth. As soon as you're in the air heading towards the platform, a bird is going to spawn and head right towards you. Now, here's how crazy the spawning is here. If you move towards the edge of the cliff, the cheetahs will stop spawning. As you inch even closer, you can force the enemy that's down on the plane below to spawn. This way, you'll know where he'll be when you go to jump down. And since we now know the bird is going to spawn in the middle of your jump, you can position yourself in just the right spot to make him spawn, so all you have to do is wait for him to get a little closer to you, then you can jump when the human down below is further to the right and leaves you an opening to land on. If you aren't taking your time here and you just jump head first and try to make that jump without thinking it through, you're either going to get clipped by the bird and thrown into the pit below, or you're going to land on the human enemy, fly back, and then fall into the pit below. Guaranteed every time. Unless 
you take your time to understand where enemies appear and when it's safe to move. I say all of this to say, Ninja Gaiden is a game where you need to truly act like a ninja. You need to be fast and deadly when it makes sense to, but you need to take your time and pick your battles, all while you're constantly moving forward. If you backtrack, you're going to run into enemies that you've already defeated and put yourself in needless danger. If you move forward too fast, I can promise that you're going to jump into an enemy that you didn't see just off screen and then you're going to get knocked back into a pit. There was a point where this was happening to me so often I honestly wondered why the developers even put a health bar in this game in the first place. I rarely took enough damage to just die outright. Nine times out of ten, I was getting flung into a pit due to my lack of knowledge of the area or just my sheer carelessness. So at the end of the day, if you really want to beat this game, you're going to have to put your reps in, learn the enemy spawn points, and master the game's controls in order to become the ninja you were destined to be. Now, besides all of that and all of the ninja-type skills that I was just talking about, you do have some other ways to get the upper hand on top of everything I just mentioned, and that's getting your hands on some of the ninja abilities, or sub-weapons as I like to call them. Like I had mentioned before, you can pick up a couple abilities that will utilize your spiritual strength in order to deploy in battle. Once you have one of these equipped, you'll see the icon for it at the top of your screen. Pressing up on the directional pad and your B button will have you use it. Again, a lot like how Castlevania has you use sub-weapons. First, there's a throwing star, which is fairly self-explanatory. Using it will toss it straight out in front of you, and it's your standard projectile weapon. This is great for taking out enemies on the other end of gaps you need to jump so you don't accidentally jump on top of them when you try and jump over. Another sub-weapon that you can find is the Windmill Throwing Star. This thing operates much like a boomerang. When you throw it out, it will cut through multiple enemies and projectiles coming your way before flying back towards you. Now, the cool thing here is that you can jump over the windmill star and it will fly under you and take out anything behind you before turning back around and heading back towards you. It's almost like it's on a string, if that even makes sense. It's great for areas where multiple enemies are on screen and you need to give yourself a little bit of breathing room in a hurry. The next sub-weapon that you can find is sort of a magic spell called the Fire Wheel. When Ryu uses this, he'll hurl three fireballs upwards at about a 45-ish degree angle. It seems like a very specific trajectory that only has limited use, but you'd be surprised how useful this item can be, especially against one specific boss enemy that likes to jump over you frequently. This specific weapon wasn't my favorite to use, but it's better to have this than nothing at all. And finally, there is a power-up called the Jump and Slash Technique. I like to call this one the Spinning Attack. It's actually very reminiscent to the Screw Attack for those that have played the Metroid games. 
When you have this particular skill, pressing the attack button while in midair will have Ryu spin his sword around, sort of like how Sonic curls into a little ball when he jumps. Any enemy you touch while you're in this spin attack is going to get slaughtered, so it's a fantastic weapon to use if you're about to jump onto an enemy, say while jumping from platform to platform. Not only that, this technique is stupidly powerful. I was able to use this technique once on one of the first bosses in the game, and it immediately wiped it out with very minimal effort. The only downside is you're going to find yourself jump attacking regularly as you go throughout the game normally, so you may end up using all of your spiritual energy and not mean to. One thing I did read somewhere is that if you want to do a regular jump attack while you have the spin attack equipped, you can hold down on the directional pad and attack while in midair, and you'll attack normally, though I have never tested this out myself because I did not know this was a thing. Sub-weapons are great additions to the game and really add versatility to your offensive capabilities. However, I never found myself using them too terribly often. There are certain areas of the game that are much easier if you have a specific special weapon with you at that specific time, but I never counted on them to succeed. My biggest weapon was just taking my time, learning the game's layout, and practicing over and over again. Plus, I would find myself picking up a sub-weapon and not meaning to, so I had a hard time saving that one special one I wanted to hang on to. Referencing Castlevania yet again, if you bust open a street lamp or other breakable object, it's really easy to pick up the item that falls out without realizing it, and then you're picking up a new sub-weapon that is going to replace your old one when you don't mean to. Just calling that out so it's something that you can be mindful of. The difficulty in Ninja Gaiden will progressively ramp up as you go, and while it took some time to get good enough to get through Acts 1 through 4 with so-so effort, Act 5 is where the game started to get a bit crazy with how enemies would spawn and the amount of platforming and wall jumping that you're going to need to do. Once you make it to Act 5, you're going to be running into a lot of places where flying birds will continue to spawn in and wreck you while you're in midair especially when you're trying to make it over a gap. You need to continue to take your time and look for these openings to jump. Never, ever rush towards the edge of a ledge and jump without first seeing if something is going to spawn first. This game loves to spawn enemy birds just as you jump so you hit them and fall into a pit every time. Do not let this happen. Be a smart ninja and work smarter, not harder. Now overall, I enjoyed my time with Ninja Gaiden. When I first sat down with it and gave it a go, I actually thought it was a lot easier than people were making it out to be. I breezed through the first act and was pretty locked in thanks to the snappy gameplay, the good-looking graphics, excellent soundtrack, and the awesome story told through well-animated cutscenes. It wasn't until around the third or fourth act that I really started to struggle. But thanks to the fact that Ninja Gaiden offered unlimited continues and didn't throw you too far back when you lost all of your lives, it was pretty easy for me to keep playing and hone my ninja craft. I don't think I mentioned it before, but I played a majority of Ninja Gaiden on my Nintendo Switch using my Nintendo Online subscription. 
While I had suspend points that I could use using this service where I could have saved the game at any point, I honestly did not feel the need to use that feature. There were some spots I had a hard time getting past, but I never felt the need to save my game midway to save myself any time. I was happy to replay a level and continue to master it as I went. I became a better player, and I became a better ninja, as I got more comfortable with movement, attacking in midair, and even getting so good that I could wall jump up a wall on just one side. This really felt like a journey where I was growing along with our hero, and it made me fall in love with this game, despite all of its hardships. That is, until I got to the end of the game and battled the final boss. I don't want to spoil the story, so I'm not going to tell you anything about the identity of the game's main villain or their motivations here, but I will say that this fight is your classic boss fight in that the final boss in Ninja Gaiden is fought over three battles. The first one is simple enough. You'll have a large, lumbering creature walking towards you. There's an orange orb in the center of the room on the wall, and that's the thing that you need to destroy to win the first battle. It's not overly difficult, especially if you happen to have the fire wheel, or better yet, the spin attack as one of your sub-weapons. Otherwise, you need to jump and slash with your sword, and while that works just fine, the longer you take, the more the orb in the middle will shoot out these orange balls that will surround the boss. The more orbs on screen means the harder it will be to avoid taking damage. Now, if you happen to beat this battle, you'll be given more story cutscenes, and then it's on to the second final battle. This creature will be suspended from the ceiling and slide from right to left over and over while shooting two fireballs down towards you. You have to jump on one of the platforms that's in the room and jump up again to slash the creature in midair. This sounds simple enough, but here's the fun part, and hopefully I can describe this correctly. In reality, the boss only has one attack. It will shoot the two fireballs down towards you. They are sort of homing fireballs and will follow you, but the nice thing is, if you're on the very bottom ground level, the sheer speed of these fireballs will cause them to fly through the floor and vanish. Now, if you're above the ground floor, like when you're jumping on one of the little platforms to attack the boss, the homing fireballs will start to curve towards you. Since they lose some speed at this height, they'll actually start to circle around you instead of flying through the floor. So what'll happen is you'll run the risk of having multiple fireballs flying around towards you, and they can be increasingly hard to dodge. They don't do a ton of damage, but it makes this incredibly hard to hit the boss. Even worse if the fireballs knock you into the boss itself. The fireballs may not do too much damage, but the boss itself will drain your health bar considerably faster. It's hard to describe without seeing it in action, but take it from me. If you manage to make it this far in Ninja Gaiden, this is going to be your biggest roadblock. Now, you might be wondering how bad it could possibly be, because the game gives you infinite continues and only sets you back to the start of the area you were in, right? <laughs> ah, sweet, sweet child. 
While the game gives you unlimited continues, for some reason when you die at the hands of the final boss, you're actually shipped back to the beginning of the last act. Yes, all the fucking way back to the beginning. Normally, if you're in the middle of an act, for instance, Act 5, Stage 3, you'll continue from Act 5, Stage 3. You're in Act 6, Stage 4, when you're fighting the final boss. If you die against the final boss in any of its forms, you're sent back all the way to Act 6, Stage 1. And that's not when you lose all your lives either, that's when you lose a single one. Yes, this game is just that fucking brutal. I don't get angry when I lose at video games or something doesn't go my way, but the whole idea that I had to replay an entire four-stage act just to get another chance at the final boss pissed me off to no end. I'd grit my teeth and squeeze my controller so tight that there were times I thought I would somehow harness the strength to snap it in half. Now, I don't normally like to talk down on game developers or anyone who put their heart and soul into making a video game, but whoever thought this was a good idea is a goddamn idiot. Ninja Gaiden isn't a long game, so really you're not being set back that much time when you perish, but the amount of time and effort just to get to that point, and then have a large chunk of time taken away from you, makes me think of all the kids who played this game growing up, and how they would have probably wasted weekends playing their hearts out only to have them ripped out of their chests when they fall just once to the end boss. And it's not like Ninja Gaiden has a password system or anything so you can pick up at a specific point or anything. So if you fail, or God forbid your mom makes you turn the Nintendo off for dinner or some other family activity you don't want to participate in... Ugh, it's just so frustrating. Oh, and the boss has a third form that I haven't mentioned that's just as hard, and it looks like a giant shrimp for some reason. So now, anytime we have shrimp for dinner, I'm reminded of the end of this game, and I start to get angry inside. Thank you, Ninja Gaiden. Thank you for ruining shrimp for me, you dick. When I look back at the time I spent with Ninja Gaiden, I often wonder what people's overall takeaway is with this game. Is it the brutal difficulty? The way the game used cutscenes to tell a pretty interesting story? The game's pretty awesome soundtrack? The quick and snappy gameplay? I assume it's different for all of us, but for me, the overall journey is what sticks out for me. Ninja Gaiden is a classic example of an NES tough type of game, one that is brutal to those who don't take it seriously and devastating to those who don't want to put the work in. While there are ways to take advantage of this game like manipulating how and when enemies spawn if you're aware enough to take advantage of that sort of thing, there is no easy way to beat this game. You'll need to get good by mastering the controls, familiarizing yourself with the layout of the enemies, and remembering where certain power-ups are in each level so you can maximize those to the fullest. As I worked on all these things myself, I felt myself becoming a stronger ninja and a better player overall. By the time I was done with Ninja Gaiden, I felt as though I went through the entire hero's journey. 
I felt a call to play Ninja Gaiden, but initially I refused. When I mentioned that I was thinking about taking this game on, but I was worried about the game's difficulty, I was assured by a friend that I could take this game on. Even if I didn't beat it, I would have enough strength to see much of what the game has to offer. So I accepted the call, and then I crossed the threshold into the unknown. The struggle was real, and I found myself thinking about abandoning my quest. I mean, how many times was I going to be okay with the fact that I, a ninja master, was just thrown into a bottomless pit by a bird that just happened to spawn right in my path? But I endured, and watched myself grow in strength and ability. I wasn't just completing stages, I was learning ways to make traversing these stages easier and coming out on the other end having taken less damage or by using less continues. And by the time I was done with Ninja Gaiden, I felt like I had achieved the ultimate reward. Now I can say that I've played this game and can count myself as one of the few who went the distance. Now, did I actually beat Ninja Gaiden? Yes. Yes, I did. Did I have to take advantage of suspend points and save states? <laughs> you bet your ass I did. Truth be told, while I have beaten Ninja Gaiden, I have not beaten it without help. After losing to the final boss probably a dozen times or so, I finally decided to make a save state at the start of the final battle so I didn't have to replay the whole sixth act over and over again. It was still hard as nails, but eventually I came out a winner. Will I go back and beat Ninja Gaiden on my own merits? Perhaps one day. I honestly think I could do it, and I think just about any of you listening to this could beat this game if you put the time, effort, and commitment into it. And I think at the end of the day, that's what makes this game special, and why I think so many people hold it in such high regard. It's a great example of something that can be overcome if you try, but more than that, it's a great example of something that can be fun, even despite the difficulty. Well, most aspects of Ninja Gaiden can be fun. This game has made me foster an immense hatred for birds of any kind now. Anytime I see them in my backyard or flying outside in any capacity, I feel this uncontrollable urge to tell them to piss right the hell off. I don't care how majestic they may be or how... No! No! Get the hell out of here! Go! Ugh, goddamn winged devils! So yeah, if you've ever played Ninja Gaiden before, you should absolutely give it a go, and if you have before, I think it's time to don your ninja attire once again. Once you get going, you'll see exactly how fun this game can really be. And don't let the difficulty keep you from taking this journey, my friends. Just remember what Ryu's father told him. Be always brave.
that marks the end of another trip into the gaming wilderness, my friends. This has been episode 48 of the Retro Wildlands, Ninja Gaiden for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. It is always a pleasure having you as part of the expedition. One of the things that I absolutely love about taking on this podcasting hobby is making myself try some video games that I would not have otherwise played, and Ninja Gaiden ranks pretty high up on the list of games that I've played so far for the show. Even if I haven't beaten it legitimately yet, I'm still glad to have experienced this game. Hopefully, as you take trips into the gaming wildlands with me, you will discover a game that you haven't played yet and give it a chance. There are so many awesome video games out there, and I cannot wait to experience the next one and share my experiences with you. Even if there are games out there that are as tough as Ninja Gaiden, I am absolutely down for the challenge. If you like the show and you want to show it and myself some support, please consider subscribing to the Retro Wildlands on your preferred podcasting platform. While I try my best to always be working on the next episode of the show, sometimes life gets in the way and it can be a bit before the next show drops. Subscribing to the podcast will notify you the instant I publish something new, and you can get right back into the Wildlands with me. Now, if you really like what I'm trying to do here and you have a spare minute or two of your time, I would greatly appreciate it if you gave the show a good review. You can leave a star rating on Spotify, but you can also leave a written review on platforms like iTunes, Podchaser, and Podbean, which is where I host the show out of. Leaving a good review should help circulate the show a little bit on feeds, so if you have the extra time to spare, I would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a good review. At the end of the day, I am just a one-man show doing all the speaking, script writing, audio editing, so if you could help me out with a good review, it would help spread the show around to more people, and again, I would really appreciate it. But you are under no obligation to do so, and if you do give me a good review, only give me a good review if you think that I have earned it. I've said it before, and I will continue to say it again, though. Just the fact that you are listening to me right now is much more than I could have ever asked for, so thank you very much for just being here. So, what's coming up next? If you caught the intro of the show today, if everything goes well, we'll be talking about Super Mario 2 on our next episode. It's one of those games I remember playing a little bit as a kid, but I don't remember much of my own experience with the game. I popped it in and played it a little bit ago, and now that I got my feet wet, I am dying to give this game the attention that I never was able to give it when I was younger. More than anything, it just feels right to give the supposed black sheep of the Super Mario franchise a little love. Plus, I find the game's development history fascinating. So, with that said, Super Mario 2 is where we're heading next, barring any issues or if something else catches my attention that I think needs a show before then. And, as far as episode 50 goes, which is a milestone episode to be sure, I have a game in mind that I've been dying to do a show on that is arguably one of the most important video games ever made when it comes to narrative-driven experiences. Problem is, it's a decently sized game, and I haven't played it since it came out in 1998, so I want to play it again before doing a show on it. 
It's going to be a good time, and I cannot wait to make an episode around this experience for you. So stay tuned, my friends. We have so much more to see and do, and I would love to have you back again to join our Wildlands expedition. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands.